Chapter 7 of The Mystery of the Woods by W. H. H. Murray. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 7 I am not certain that I understand the drift of your talk, boy, answered the trapper, for your words be new to me, and you speak of people and things that I never heard afore. I have heard men pray, yes, the lad was certainly gifted in that direction, and I be a praying man myself when the mood be on me, but my praying be done with my eyes and my feelings, and not with the tongue. The Moravians pray in a house, and a noisy time they make of it, for they shout as if they was ambushing the Lord, and wanted to scare him into doing as they wish. But I pray in an orderly way, and without use of the tongue, and in a house not builded by the hand of man, and in this I concede I have the right of it as again the Moravians. Not to say that their intentions ain't right, for a man with a head as white as mine shouldn't judge. But still I concede I have the right of it, for the scripture says that the Lord of mercy looketh at the heart, and Henry has told me that the master himself never prayed in housing, but acted like a man with good judgment, and went up into the mountain when he prayed, not to speak of his love of the lakes of the country where he lived. Yes, yes, it may be all right if your father prayed in the schoolhouse, as you say he did, and I don't say that a man shouldn't get earnest-like at times when talking with the Lord, for they be two sides of everything, and he would certainly hear both sides of the case, and I would rather like, as I conceit, that a man should make the points clear, and lay the sense of matter down strong. But a schoolhouse is an unfortunate place to pray in, for certain unless the man be as full of words as a young hound is of noise, in which case I don't concede it makes much difference where the praying be done, for a man whose praying be all noise is pretty sure to miss the Lord as a young hound misses a game. A quiet hunter brings the buck home, and the man who talks least and thinks most gets the ear of the Lord first, as I judge. The old trapper had delivered his opinion with gravity of voice and countenance, and with the deliberation of one accustomed in matters of moment to use the fewest possible words. The Yankee was not without fine feeling, as was evidenced by the respectful manner with which he listened to the trappers he gave him thus sententiously his opinion of praying. Perhaps the Yankee felt that the discussion had passed beyond his depth. Perhaps a feeling of deference to the other's age and apparent wisdom restrained his speech. But from whatever cause, he remained silent, and the trapper, after a moment's pause, resumed, his mind reverting to the struggle through which he had just passed, and the peril he had just escaped. "'I have been in many a scrimmage,' he said, "'since my feet first struck the trail, and a few be the hills atwixt here and the great lakes that ain't here the crack of my rifle, when lead was sent for a purpose and powder wasn't wasted. But I doubt if I was ever in a worse fix than you found me tonight.' for they had fairly outwitted a man that peace had made forgetful of his caution, and they had me at odds, and in a place where the odds counted again me. And if you hadn't come, boy, as you did, the Lord of mercy only knows how it would have ended. Well, I swear I was getting a little hazy when I burst the door open and walked in on you. You see, I heard you when I first landed down on the beach, and I couldn't think what you was up to. Darned if I could. "'Jerusalem, what a racket you did make! "'I thought at first you was having a regular old-fashioned breakdown "'with no gals at it, and Applejack plenty. 
so I hissed along to join in, for I'm a regular bean at any such sort of a twist, and nine in the pot at that. So I hissed along darnation quick, and rapped at the door, for there wasn't a ticket to be had for love of money, darned if there was. So you knocked at the door, did you? asked the trapper laughingly. Reckon I did, returned the Yankee, and darned little good the knockin' did, and I made up my mind that you was mighty unneighborly, or else the floor was full and there wasn't a chance for another pole in the garden. So it was, boy, so it was, interrupted the trapper laughing. Yes, the floor was full for certain. But what did you think had become of the fiddler? Oh, I don't know, answered the Yankee, unless he was corned, and I thought you was all on a tear. I did now, I swanny I did, for you was going at it with your boots on. How did you come to break open the door? interrupted the trapper, whose sense of humor was thoroughly quickened at the experience the Yankee was vividly narrating. I got my dander up. You see, the beans are full of snuff, and after I'd stood there, trying to make you fellers inside hear me, longer than a funeral, I was madder than a hornet, and I walloped that old door in a way to raise the blisters. Darned if I didn't. How did you shove it open? queried the trapper. Did you have to put your strength into it? Shove, answered the Yankee. I didn't get it open by shoving, not by a long shot. Gosh, that door was stouter than a stone fence. I shoved and I shoved, and all the while you fellers were cutting it down like Jiminy inside. The more I shoved, the madder I got. By and by, I got madder than a guinea hen, and I draw it off and get it a regular old ripper of a kick. You did well, you did well, boy, interrupted the trapper. Yes, you did it judgmatically, for a sudden blow parts a fastening when the slower and won't. But what did you think of the dance when you got in? Didn't it look a little smoky for a frolic? Darned if it didn't, answered the Yankee. I tell you, I was all tucked back, like a feller dropped down in a graveyard. I swear if I wasn't. What did you make of it, boy? What did you make of it? asked the trapper. Make of it? answered the Yankee. There wasn't but one thing to make of it, from the bean point of view, and that was that five miserable sneaks was pitching into one old man. And though I come in to peddle and I never get into any fusses, yet there never was a bean on our side of the family that didn't love wrestling better than he loved eating. I'll be blowed if there was. And when I see them fellers going for you, I fairly itch to get a hold of them. So I went for em like a smack for a school of heron. Jerusalem crickets! Didn't we sort of yank em round, though? Gosh, you sent em out of that smoke like taters out of the tail of a cart. But how did they come to pay you a visit? It must be a darn mean neighborhood round here. You don't invite em often, do you? I didn't ask em to come at all, boy. And they don't belong to these parts, no. They be vagabonds from abroad, and their errand in the woods be an errand of deviltry for certain. And they know John Norton will be arter em in their wickedness, and so they conceded to murder me. And they done it, too, if the Lord hadn't sent you to help me as you did. Reckon not, old man, interrupted the Yankee. You was a tarnal lively corpse when I bust in the door. I swear to gracious you was. And you'd wallop the whole set, darned if you wouldn't or I don't know anything about wrestling. It may be, it may be, returned the trapper, for a man in the right is stronger than them that be in the wrong. 
but your coming was well-timed, and the Lord sent you into the woods for something better than paddling, young man. I hope so, I swan I do, returned the Yankee, for I hain't made a tarnal red cent since I took the boat. I've rode the old scow a thousand miles, darn if I hain't, and haven't seen a house nother, and I ought to have made a dollar and a half a day right along, but I guess the houses are thicker further on, eh? Housing, boy, answered the trapper, laughing. Lord, you can't go a hundred miles as a goose flies before you come to a house or a shanty either, for that matter. No, no, if peddling be your errand, you be off a trail for certain, and ye should get back to the settlements and ply your trade there as quick as ye can, for little be the bargaining and selling done in the woods. Though a month later, perhaps, you might find a few camps where you could traffic a little, for the city folks be whimsical, especially the women, and they might buy some of your wares and their frolicsomeness, for a peddler would be a strange sight for certain a hundred mile from a house. But little be the gain you'll make in the woods, boy, and you should follow the heel of your trail till it run you to the settlements again. Well, I swear, that's funny. Gosh, I wouldn't have Dad knew what a tarnal fool his son Jim has been for a ten-dollar bill, darned if I would. But as for streaking it back to the settlements, as you call them, that's another sort of tater, old man, and I don't feel like digging out of this bush until I've sampled the lot. I don't understand you, perhaps, resumed the trapper after a moment's pause. But as you be young and not overwise in the ways of the woods, you may not understand the object of the vagabonds, nor the danger you run in staying. And so I might as well tell you in so many words that if you stay with me, you must stay at your risk, for the knaves have sworn to kill me. And as you've got mixed up in the matter, they'll kill you too, harder tonight if they can. And so, perhaps the sooner you take the heel of your track, the safer it'll be for you. Moses and Elijah, shouted the Yankee, and he brought his bony knuckles down upon the board table so that the room rang. Moses and Elijah, old man, you don't think Jim Bean's a sneak, do you? Gosh almighty, there never was a bean yet on our side of the house that was a coward. Darn if there was. Grandfather Eliphalet Bean fed in the revolution. And there never was a bean yet that showed a white feather at wrestling or fighting other. And if you think this seedling's going to bile out of the pot because it's walloping a little, you don't know Jim Bean. I come in here to peddle, that's a fact, and make a little honest money to sop me up when I get home. And I'll do it yet before I give it up. A darned if I'm in any hurry about it, old man. And if you got into a scrape and want a slab-sided cuss that shanked it up from Maine to help you, I'll stay and help you sort the pile, and you shall see who's the boss tater of the heap. Darn if you shan't. The trapper had listened to the Yankee with a pleasure which he made no effort to conceal, for courage in whatever form it is shown, or in whatever guise it appears, commands the admiration of the beholder, and no one could have heard the explosion of his companion and not have felt that shrewd, cunning, and supremely selfish as he might be in matters of personal gain, still mingled with his selfishness, was a nobler and more generous spirit ready at any occasion to gain the ascendancy, converting the selfish trafficker into a being, temporarily at least, of nobler ambition. Of the genuine pluck of his comrade, the trapper could have no doubt. "'You've got true grit, boy,' answered the trapper." 
Yes, you've certainly got the true grit in you, and the spirit of your grandfather needn't be ashamed of you, for you ring to the tap as clear as a steel barrel, and if you say you'll stay, stay you shall. And a man whose head be whitening thanks you for your offer to help him again the vagabonds that thirst for his blood. Can you shoot, boy? Shoot, I reckon I can shoot, answered the Yankee. I can hit a rabbit's tail of ten rods if he'll sort of hold still a minute and the gun don't carry too close. And he laughed boisterously at his own boastful wit. Gosh, if I had Dad's old king's arm up here and you had a gill of shot, I could kill every rabbit in the whole swamp at one whack. Darned if I couldn't. Did you ever shoot a rifle? queried the trapper, upon whose mind the Yankee's allusion to a shotgun had made a dubious impression. I haven't seen a king's arm for forty year. The Lord forbid I should ever touch anything but a groove barrel, and there isn't a shot in the house, for the boy feels as I do in the matter. No, no, shotguns be good enough for the settlements, I dare say, but it would be a shame for a hunter to keep one in his cabin. Did you ever shoot a rifle, boy? No, Swan, I didn't, replied the Yankee, but I guess I could if I tried mighty quick. I don't know, I don't know, answered the trapper. A rifle be a ticklish thing in the hand of a beginner, and mighty little use would your loose shooting do you in a scrimmage with the vagabonds. Still, it may be you might get the hang of it arter a few trials. Leastwise, you could protect yourself, and we'll give you the points of the case in the morning. What can you do, boy, if it comes to downright honest work? Rassle, old man. I'm the boss rassler in the bean tribe, darned if I ain't. Front hold, side hold, collar and elbow back hold, and any kind of hold, darned if it makes any difference. I'm the boss tater in the pile when it comes to wrestling. If it comes to close quarters, sot me down for three of them blue-skinned pumpkins that was at you tonight, and I'll show you how Jim Bean, with his dander is up, can twitch and yank and haul them around. Moses and Elijah, I'll wrestle the whole crowd. Judikins, I'm a regular old-fashioned scarlet runner at wrestling. It was evident that the trapper was not a little disappointed at, from his point of view, the poor equipment of his companion. For a contest such as he knew the coming one with the outlaws would be, for it was plain that however determined he might be, he was in no sense equal in skill to the least of his antagonists. Still, he was not wholly discouraged, but was inclined to take a hopeful view of the matter for he could easily imagine that the contest might, at more than one point in its course, take such a turn that his companion's strength and fearlessness would go far to make good his almost total lack of skill in the use of the weapons which would be used. It was therefore with mingled feelings of hope and regret that he said, I'd be sorry that you don't know the use of the weapon for certain, but your heart is right, and that counts a good deal in a scrimmage. Lord, if the boy was only here... With his rifle on one side of the camp and mine on the other, we could learn them vagabonds a lesson they'd never forget. But the boy be away, and the vagabonds be here, and the purposes of the Lord must be served. To this soliloquy, for it had been such on the part of the trapper, the Yankee listened as one who feels he does not fully understand the thought of the speaker, and not till a moment had elapsed after the old man had ended did he speak. Then he said, who are the sneaks that was after you tonight anyhow? And what are they doing that they should be afraid of you? In reply, the trapper narrated all that had happened, and also what he knew about the half-breed in the past. 
not omitting the gambler's visit and its result, nor his suspicions about that big tent on the point. When he had ended, the Yankee asked, "'What do you reckon is in the big tent, anyhow? "'You don't think there's a pile of money there, do you?' "'Jerusalem, if I thought there was, "'I'd go down and wrestle the whole camp for it. "'Darned if I wouldn't.' "'For a moment the trapper made no answer, "'but remained as one plunged in profound thought. "'Then he said, "'No, no, boy, I don't concede it's money. "'If I did, the Lord forbid that I should meddle with them about it. "'I suspect the vagabonds being a worse devilment than that. "'It's a human being that's in that tent, boy, "'or my name ain't John Norton.' "'Gosh, almighty!' exclaimed the Yankee. "'You don't say so. How do you know it?' "'I don't know it,' replied the trapper. "'That is, I don't know it as a man knows a thing he has seen and is certain of, "'but the signs all point that way. "'And now, young man, we'll sot ourselves to work to find out whether I'm right or wrong. "'I'll rest till morning, for sleep makes a clear head.' You needn't worry about the door. The bar is a strong un, and besides, the vagabonds have got all they want tonight, and will stick to their camp as a hound that's been whipped to its kennel. Take the bed, and I'll take the skins. If there's a step that moves outside, my ear will be nigh to the floor, and we'll hear. Yes, we'll sleep tonight and plan tomorrow. There's a human being in the tent, and I suspect it's a woman, too. If the boy was only here... So saying, the trapper took his rifle from the brackets and lay down upon the skins by the floor, while the Yankee threw his body upon the bed. In a moment, his loud and regular breathing gave proof that he was asleep. Once the old man raised his head to listen, and then laid it down again. In a few moments, he too slept. While the trapper and the Yankee were conversing in the cabin, another conversation was being carried on at the point, for no sooner had the outlaws, after their summary ejection from the cabin, recovered from the effect of their desperate struggle, which two of them did slowly, and as men from whose bodies the life has been nearly and almost totally driven, than they started for the point with all their energy that remained to them. They were thoroughly beaten, and they felt the disgrace of it. The thought of their discomfiture rankled in their guilty breasts and exhorted groans and bitter curses from them. The half-breed was at first literally frenzied with rage. Again he plotted the trapper's life, and again he had been foiled. Again he had deemed success certain, and again he had met an overwhelming defeat. In the wilderness of his rage and the bitterness of his mortification, he cursed and tore his hair. And so transported with madness was he that he literally groveled on the ground like him of old time, possessed of the devil. But after his first frenzy was passed and his blood had slightly cooled, he became calmer, and before he had reached the camp his mind had settled to comparative repose, and his thoughts were busy devising methods of revenge. In this mood he and his companions entered the camp. The gambler was seated by the fire playing euchre with a dummy, now and then looking dreamily off upon the dusky water or up into the blue vault, bespangled with innumerable stars, and whistling between the deals, the fragment of an old revival hymn he had doubtless heard at some camp meeting. He was evidently playing a square hand, as he expressed it with the dummy, and luck was against him. "'Egad, that's funny,' he said to himself as he shuffled the cards for the final deal that would decide the rubber. "'The pictures are in league with the old man, and luck backs him to his last dollar.' 
If he gets the ace and right bower, and I get the left and the joker, I'll win. But if he gets the joker, he'll sweep the table. Now let's see how the game goes, for or against him. Egad, <laughs> this is all nonsense. The old fellow's dead before this, and his white hair's dabbled in blood. And catching something back of his throat as if about to cough, he lifted the cards and, glancing over them, laid the ace upon the bark that served him as a table. And then he lifted the first card from the dummy's pile, turning it over, quietly laid it beside his ace. It was the left bower. The gambler looked at his hand, and after a moment's reflection, placed the queen of trumps on the bark. Then, before he played the dummy's card, he gazed out upon the lakes and softly whistled a strain of the hymn. Then he reached over, lifted the dummy's card, and turning it slowly over, laid it beside his queen. It was the king of trumps. Perhaps the gambler's face whitened a trifle. Perhaps the lines around the mouth tightened. The firelight was too dim to make one feel certain, but he looked a moment at the two cards, and without lifting them, placed the right bower on the board. Then, passing his white fingers to the dummy's pile, he lifted the upper one and calmly turned it face up. It was the joker. The old man wins by... The sentence remained unfinished, for the sharp crack of a broken stick in the bush checked his exclamation, and as he listened, the sound of many steps was plainly heard coming toward the camp. End of chapter 7